morning, Ponca City Church. Uh, thank you so much for being here, and thank you for that welcome. Um, so yeah, uh, let's just open everything up in prayer. Uh, let's take everything to the Lord. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for our time together this morning, Lord. Um, all of the words that have been spoken so far, Lord, and the words that will be spoken in the sanctuary and um, out into the children's classrooms and out in the foyer and the parking lot and whatever words are spoken today, Lord, that they be ordained by you, Lord, that you just guide um, our thoughts, Lord, to uh, be on you, Lord, that you uh, give us ears to hear and um, uh, eyes that are open to what you have for us this morning, uh, me included, Lord, <laughs> that you use me um, as a vessel to um, to move forward in your will and your um, plan for our lives, Lord, and we just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so this morning, the title of my, uh, we're, I'm speaking in the, uh, in the sermon series sent, and so I got a chunk of scripture that our lovely pastor TD gave to me, and um, so uh, I've titled my sermon, uh, Know Your Audience. So because the the section of the scripture is really interesting about Paul, and um, one of the first things that popped into my head when I read this was, oh man, this is so relatable. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever read the scripture and been like, oh, just hit you between the eyes, right? It's like, oh, okay, I got to pay attention to this. Uh, this is me. Um, and so uh, first I want to give you a little context. If you weren't here last week, it was the first week uh, that TD talked about the this um, series, so a little bit of context, we're in Acts chapter 13, um, my chunk is 13 through 25, but last week um, we uh, spoke about uh, Paul's, we're in Paul's first missionary journey, okay, Paul, he is um, uh, been, he's had a history of a lot of different things, he <laughs> didn't do great things, he, he is now um, ready to go change the world, okay? This is his first going out mission, okay? And um, my, I, when I was thinking about this and preparing for this sermon, I thought about my Bible college teachers. I went to Bible college, okay, and I graduated and everything, and I was like, they're going to be, I can feel them just like rolling around the graves because I was like, I need a map. I don't know where these things are. Like, okay, I'm looking at a map. I've looked at these maps all of my life. I'm like, okay, where's Paul? Where is he going? Who's with him? Who are these people? Because as we know in the Bible, people have the same name. Cities have the same name, right? <laughs> and it can get very, very confusing if you're just reading it, like, in a paragraph, right? So I'm like, okay, I got I to gotta flesh this out. I need visuals. I need to see it. I need to see where Paul's going, okay? So I've provided for you today some maps. <laughs> <laughs> because I need to see it, so I'm going to assume that you all need to see it. <laughs> okay, so my first map, if you... Do you, do you have it? Okay, so I wanted to kind of zoom out a little bit and give you guys a little bit of, of where we are in kind of modern day, uh, like in, in Bible times. So basically um, where he's at is uh, Syria and, and modern day Syria and Turkey, okay? You guys know those countries. You hear about them on the news. You see maps all the time. You see things. So just to give you guys a little bit of context of where in the world are we. <laughs> and then the red circle is like the circular sort of journey of his first mission, um, uh, missionary journey that Paul took. Um, and then the next slide is his actual um, arrows of journey. So um, he, he makes kind of a loop. 
it's really interesting, and he makes lots of loops, and um, sometimes we think of a progression of like, you know, just going forward. No, he actually comes back around and visits people and checks on them, right? That's important. And so the next slide is, I went ahead because I was like, okay, there's no starting point. <laughs> I need a starting point. So our starting point was in the, f in the previous section, at the beginning of chapter 13 in Acts, he starts out from Antioch, the star over here to the right. Um, he gets prayed up by his um, fellow friends and fellow teachers and leaders that have been pouring into him, him and Barnabas, and they get prayed up, they get commissioned and sent out, okay? And their first stop is on the island of Cyprus, which is the city of Salamis. Not a lot talked about in Salamis, he, he preached. There wasn't a lot of note um, that was talked about there. Then the next city, he came to the other side of the island, um, Paphos, okay? So it's Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark. Now, he's referred to as John. Sometimes he's got a nickname of Mark. You know, <laughs> there's like 12 John Marks. So I just named him John Mark. <laughs> and in Paphos, in the previous section, he, they were witness to a really amazing thing. They were witness to um, this governor. It's called proconsul, but it's a governor, basically, of the city coming to know the Lord. He was this um, naysayer, this person who was out to block all the good things that Paul and Barnabas were doing was trying to stop him, and Paul calls him out. He says, no, get away. <laughs> get out of here. You, mean, you, you do not mean good in this place. And because of that, this governor, okay, think of, I don't know who the governor of Ponca City is, uh, or, or the mayor or whatever, but the, the governor of Oklahoma, okay, so like think of, we're talking like big wig, okay, <laughs> comes to know Jesus. This is huge, <laughs> right? This is huge. And this is, a, this is a big win, right? This is a big win. We're talking about big wins. We're trying to celebrate the positives and, and, and what's going on in our church and our city, not always focusing on the negative. This is huge. This is good. They're flying on a kite right now, right? Paul and, I mean, this is like the second stop that they make on Paul's first missionary journey. This is huge. So, and if you're familiar with Paul's preachings and his journey that he takes along um, in other places, he doesn't always receive a positive response, right? <laughs> he gets he gets uh, rejected. Uh, he gets uh, thrown in jail. It's just lots of bad things happen. So this is big. This is a, a really good thing. But our focus today is what happens next. So the next place that Paul goes in chapter 13, um, he, they go, if you'll see my red line, from Paphos across the Mediterranean Sea up to uh, Perga, which is in, in a... In a county, I guess, would be the equivalent of Pamphylia, okay? And they travel across the sea and land in Perga. And in verse 13 and 14, something really interesting happens, if you'll, if you'll bring that next verse up. Um, Acts 13 and 14, uh, from Paphos, Paul and company put out to sea, sailing on to Perga in Pamphylia. That's where John called it quits and went back to Jerusalem. John called it quits. Okay, how many stops have we made so far? Three? <laughs> and John calls it quits. Okay, John has, like, been there with Paul and Barnabas, right? They've, they've learned together. They've, Paul has been pouring into John. He's invested in him. And <laughs> we don't know why. We don't know why John left. It doesn't say why. Maybe Paul didn't even know why. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that in your life, but 
people just kind of give up <laughs> or they leave or they go off to do something else, which is not necessarily always a bad thing. But according to in later on in chapter, <coughs> chapter 15, later on down the line as they've gone through their different stops, Paul is not happy about this. <laughs> we don't know what happened. We don't know if what words were said. But it's not. it wasn't a good thing. <laughs> so they're coming off of this high of winning this huge governor to Jesus and an excited, like this governor was excited to go forward and, and live the purpose that God has set before him. He wasn't just like a, oh, just like a meek little, you know, whatever. He was on fire. He was ready to go. So Paul is like, oh, yeah, let's go, let's go. He's fired up. And then John Mark quits. He loses, <laughs> like, his right arm almost, you know. And so in chapter 14, or in chapter 15 later on, Barnabas wants, or Paul decides he wants to go back and visit all of these different cities that they visited. They visited probably about 10 or 12 cities at this point. And he wants to go back and visit them and see them. And Barnabas is like, okay, let's take John with us. And Paul is like, uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not taking John with us. He quit, remember? He quit, like, a long time ago. He, I'm not taking a quitter with me. And just to kind of maybe get in the context of Paul and what he was thinking, because it's always good to do that, right? Because you got to make him relatable. And um, it's not said that John was had left the faith or anything like that, but just that he left Paul. And that could be seen as a form of unfaithfulness, right? It could be it could possibly call Paul's question and in, or honor into question among people. Like if he can't keep his own disciples in line, what what matter what do your words matter? Like why should we listen to you if your people can't even stay with you for the long haul, right? And so I'm just just getting in the mindset of Paul of why he might be angry, right? It's like um he's just he's just upset. He he's not going to take along a quitter. And so he was so upset that that caused him to break away from from Barnabas at one time and go off with someone else and continue on. Now, later on, they reconcile, and everything is okay, but maybe that wasn't the greatest reaction to have. But I don't know if you guys have ever felt this way. Is this relatable? Is this like, maybe it wasn't the right reaction to have, but wouldn't you, I mean, wouldn't you feel the same way? <laughs> like, wouldn't you be like, I've, I've invested this time into someone all, the, all for them to leave? <laughs> like, you'd be hurt, be angry, and you'd want to give up on people, right? You just want to give up. Like, okay, I'm just going to do this on my own. I'm just going to, you know, trudge forward or just give up completely. It's like, okay, maybe this is a sign. Maybe God's trying to tell me that I'm not supposed to be doing this. And it's like, you know, we use every excuse in the book. But Paul doesn't do that, does he? He keeps going. He keeps going. He and Barnabas continue on. He and Barnabas go out from Perga in this from this situation that they've encountered, he keep him and they continue on. He might feel a certain way when life throws unexpected curveballs, but his mission is clear, right? His mission's clear. His next step is clear. Preach the gospel to all people. And there's that word again, people. You guys hear it? People. Okay? I'm going to title my sermon, Know Your Audience. Okay? And from Perga... She'll bring up the, the map that I had earlier. The next map, yes. 
from Perga, as you'll see on the map, my red line goes all the way up to Antioch, another city so called Antioch, so this is why I had to get maps so it wasn't confusing. Um, uh, and uh, the city of Antioch in Galatia. Now, I don't know if you guys have ever seen pictures of this terrain, if you've traveled to this area or anything. This is not an easy journey, okay? It looked like a few inches on this map. But this took them, this was uphill in the mountains, and it was took them two weeks because they were on foot, okay? They were traveling on foot. And it's about 3,600 feet above sea level. So they're climbing the mountains in the desert on foot for two weeks and having to process what's happened to them so far. So this wasn't easy. <laughs> God never says it's going to be easy, right? <laughs> um, and so once they reach Antioch, it's really interesting because in the verses it just like is one line. It just says, from Perga they go to Antioch. And it's like, there's so much in that. There's so much to think about. Like, they didn't just go for it. They just didn't, like, t drive a car. Like, I'm tired just driving an hour and a half to the city, right, you guys? Like, I mean, they walked, walked, <laughs> walked for two weeks, walked for two weeks to this city, okay? So just trying to get you guys in the mindset of how, what they might have been feeling or what Paul might have been feeling when he got to Antioch, what mindset he was, was in, okay? Once they reach Antioch, they naturally attend a Sunday service. You know, they're acting as missionaries. They're going around preaching the gospel. They're acting as missionaries. So they go to what, was, what would be the equivalent of a Sunday service um, for us today. Um, the religious leaders do their thing. They read the law and the prophets, which is a normal. It would be like having a normal Sunday morning service. And then in verse 15, they turn to Paul and Barnabas and ask if they have anything they'd like to say. Now, this is a natural occurrence that happens whenever, um, uh, even today, like, I've experienced this. Like, I've gone to other countries, anybody that's traveled or gone to another place, like, you go in as a missions team or missions, you know, group or whatever, and you're asked to speak. You're asked to share something because you're a visitor and you're recognized, you know, as, you know, for your purpose. So this happens today. This wasn't just like a Paul thing that he was so great and mighty that he was asked to preach in this big, amazing place. This happens now. <laughs> and so, um, uh, so of course, Paul, because this is the whole reason they came, he gets up and he speaks to people. He speaks to the people. He um, gets up and he um, addresses them. Now, this audience, to give you guys an idea, this audience he speaks to has some diversity, but it mostly consists of Jews. Um, which is who Paul is. He's a Jew. He's among familiar people. He's among, he might even be among familiar faces. Who knows? Because this is a city. This is kind of a melting pot a little bit, but he might have seen someone before or, or encountered someone. Or um, So naturally, he's speaking to Jews. So naturally, what does he do? He starts giving the history of the Israelites and starts talking about the history of the, the Israelites. Um, he starts with what they know. <laughs> would that be, that would make the most sense, right? I mean, it's not hard to figure out. Like, we get so intimidated by, like, talking to people or talking to someone new or talking to someone in another country. It's like, no, just start with, start with common ground, right? Build a foundation. Build a relationship of familiarity. And I wonder how difficult that might have been for Paul to do. 
in front of these people at this point in this journey, right? He's talked about how he's, how he's, what he's been through, where he's been, what he's encountered, what he's experienced. It might be a little awkward. Um, in this relatively short time, Paul has had to confront an evil spirit. He's had to travel across the sea and immediately lose a very close friend because of reasons unknown. We don't know. I'm assuming, I'm just going to say Paul didn't know either <laughs> um, because it, it was never talked about. And he and Barnabas had to keep going from there on foot inland for about two weeks until they finally arrived at the city. They don't know these, if these people have already have knowledge of Paul or heard rumors of the negative or positive. Um, I mean, Paul is just starting out, he, but he might have had a reputation before. He did have a reputation before, right? That might still be carried with him. He, people might know about that and be like, oh, uh, who is this th I, This guy? Who, why is this guy getting him and talking to us? Uh, really? Uh, but we don't know. We don't know if they knew that or not. And Paul might be thinking these things. So might get a li might get a little awkward. <laughs> they're tired physically. They're tired emotionally. They're tired spiritually. They were prayed up, right? They were prayed up in Antioch in Syria, and they've traveled, and they had a huge win, and they're excited, but now they're tired, right? Is any of this sounding relatable? <laughs> Is any of this sounding relatable at all? We find ourselves asked to do difficult things by God all the time, right? <laughs> really difficult things. But how do we usually respond? Oh, the pastor will talk to them. Oh, just, just give them the pastor's number. They'll, you know, give them the church's number. They'll figure out what to do with them. Uh, I don't have time to um, spend some hearing someone else's problems. I don't have the skills to fix people. I don't. <laughs> I really don't. And it's like we're afraid of people, right? We, we send them to someone else. It's like, okay, someone else has it. Someone else can deal with them. It's okay. The, you know, there's, there's other agencies and organizations that are equipped to do that. I'm not equipped to do that. And just so you guys know, and just I just want to share a little bit of kind of what I've, I've been experiencing lately, just an interesting occurrence that I recently visited my old church in Oklahoma City. And it was the first time I've been back there in two years. Now, give you, to give you guys a little context, I grew up in this church, in that church. Okay, I was there from a child, from a childhood. My dad was a pastor throughout my whole childhood. I grew up with these people, and they shaped me and influenced me and supported me and loved me when I in my awkward phases and my weird phases, and not the beautiful creature you see before you today. Okay. <laughs> So <laughs> they saw me at some really low points in my life, okay? And, but things aren't always sunshine and rainbows in your life. You go through seasons, okay? Season of my life got hard. It got really hard. And I didn't handle it right. I didn't handle it. I didn't, I didn't deal with it. I just kind of was like, I'm good. You know, I, I went to Bible college. I'm good. Uh, I'm working in a church. I'm fine. <laughs> um... I wasn't fine, <laughs> and I had to leave, okay, and it felt like this huge hole was in my, in my life. I don't know, it, whatever context that applies for you, um, that's how I felt. There was this huge hole inside of me, and I've been afraid to go back since, and admitting that to you is, like, really hard. I've been really afraid to go back to that church. It's, like, weird to hear someone talk about, you're afraid to go to church? Like, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I was afraid, and so... 
Um, I mean, I had all these hurt, all this hurt, and all of these memories locked away in that building, right? And um, so my mom <laughs> has been begging me to come back. Come back and visit. Come back, come back. And I was just like, no, 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 I'll come back. You know, it's okay. You know, I'm good. I'm here. I'll do my thing here. And um, finally, I don't know why, I said yes. <laughs> I'll go. I'll go back to that building. I'll go back to the church. I'll go back to these people, and I'll visit. And walking up to that building, I was sweating. <laughs> I was sweating, and it was hot. But I was also really, like, sweating because I was nervous. I really was. It was kind of like going away from home, and um, I don't know if you guys have ever done this before in your lives, and, like, you just go away from home uh, for a long time, um, and you become, you have a new life somewhere else, but some circumstance brings you back to home. It's kind of like walking up to the door and not knowing if you should knock or if you should just walk right in, <laughs> right? It's like this weird, like, oh, okay, uh, <laughs> what, should, what do I do? Um, and it turns out I was able to just walk right in, right? And I was embraced with open arms. And everybody saw me, gave me a huge welcome. <laughs> and I didn't want to do this. I didn't want to talk about this. <laughs> I had to. Um, why can't we do that with people in the church, right? Why can't we act like they're coming home? Why can't we? embrace them. I mean, think of the prodigal son. His father embraced him, right? He had been off in the world doing (laughs) who knows what. And just because you leave home doesn't mean you're doing something bad, but coming home is hard, right? Coming back is hard. Coming back to what you know in your roots is hard. Um, Why can't can't the church do that? Why can't the church embrace people with open arms all all the time? (laughs) We sometimes do it. I think we need to get better at it, I think, in my opinion. And so, for Paul, not to say that this was his home church or anything, but he was among familiar people. There had to be some tension. There had to be some awkwardness at getting up in front of his own people and speaking to them about the idea of Jesus. And, I mean, I kind of felt like I got it easy because, I mean, my pastor, that pastor could have said, hey, I see the Julian's visiting. I was sitting in the front row. Thank you, Mom. Um, I was sitting in the front row of this situation, and... He could have turned to me and said, hey, I see that Julianne's visiting, and why don't you come up on stage and share something with us? <laughs> I mean, if you guys know me at all, I would have melted into the floor. I mean, like, <laughs> no, 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 no. So for Paul to get up and do this, this is, this is a big deal, okay? This is a big deal. But Paul, ever faithful, keeps the mission forefront. He gets over his fear. He, can, he has courage. He has boldness, and he gets up there, and he talks to these people. He might be rejected. He might be embraced. This am- amazing thing that happened, like in um, uh, Paphos, might happen here. It might not. He might get thrown in jail, but he does it anyway, right? He does it anyway. Um, and no matter what gets thrown at him, he still carries on. He doesn't get discouraged. He, he might feel discouraged. We don't know. It's not really talked about how Paul feels. But just a human side of him, the humanity. Paul is human, <laughs> experiencing these things. He's, he wasn't Jesus. Sometimes we equate Paul with Jesus. He wasn't Jesus, right? And we're asked to be like Jesus. We're not Jesus, <laughs> right? We aren't Jesus. We're not going to get it right every time. We're not going to have the right reaction every time. We're not going to have the right attitude. I'm not going to always walk in here and be sunshiny and 
nice to everybody. <laughs> there's there's going to be days that I don't feel like it. So, but he still does it. He still gets up there. So he repeats a history that they already know, right? But he tells them the next step. He tells them, there's something you've been missing. There's another piece to the puzzle. This isn't just it, this law and these prophets and this prophecy. That's not all there is. There's this next amazing, beautiful, huge step that you have to take, another piece, and that's Jesus, right? You've been missing Jesus. He's the, Jesus is the one that connects all the dots throughout history. He, he makes everything come alive. It's not this stale old history anymore. It's alive. It's, there's purpose behind it, right? Does God do this in your lives at all? I mean, does he just come in and be like, turns the light bulbs on and is like, oh, this is why I've been experiencing these horrible things. There's life in this now. <laughs> and he's not just the fulfillment of that prophecy that they know. He's the beginning of something brand new, okay? Life-changing, brand new. And this is, Paul, this is what Paul want, wants people to grasp because it's so life-changing and so vital to everything. It makes everything that they've done have purpose. So he frames his message within the context that they already know. And Acts 13, 16 through 25 is that message. I'm going to read it real quick. Paul stood up and paused and took a deep breath <laughs> and then said, fellow Israelites and friends of God, listen. God took a special interest in our ancestors, pulled our people, our people, he pulled our people, he's getting on their level, pulled our people, I lost my place, <laughs> pulled our people who were beaten down in, in Egyptian exile to their feet and led them out of there in grand style. He took good care of them for nearly 40 years in that God-forsaken wilderness, and then having wiped out seven enemies who stood in their way, gave them the land of Canaan for their very own, a span in all of about 450 years. Up to the time of Samuel, the prophet, God provided judges to lead them, but then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, out of the tribe of Benjamin. <laughs> Give the next one. Thank you. <laughs> After Saul had ruled 40 years, God removed him from office and put King David in his place with this commendation. I've searched the land and found this David, son of Jesse. He is a man whose heart beats to my heart, a man who will do what I tell him. From out of David's descendants, God produced a savior for Israel, Jesus, exactly as he promised, but only after John had thoroughly alerted the people, John the Baptist, uh, not John that left, <laughs> just in case you guys were wondering, um, uh, alerted the people to his arriving by preparing them for a total life change. As John was finishing up his work, he said, did you think I was the one? No, I'm not the one, but the one you've been waiting for all these years is just around the corner and about to appear. I'm about to disappear. So this is something they all know, right? They've heard, they know these stories. You all know these stories, even. Uh, they, you know the history of the Israelites. When Paul, in his later journeys, and his later missionary journeys, when he goes to Greece and Rome, and he's talking to the people that barely speak his own language, do you think he started talking about the history of the Israelites? I really don't think so. They would have 
if he talk if he started talking about that, would they have any clue what he was talking about? Probably not. They would turn a deaf ear um, because it's like, okay, why should we care about the Jews? <laughs> I mean, they're here, but okay, great. That's that was for them. That was for for the Jews. Okay, so now Jesus is here. Okay, so Jews. So Jesus must have come for the Jews. Like that wouldn't. That's disconnected, right? It doesn't make sense. So when he's in these other countries, um, he doesn't he, he doesn't frame it that way. He frames it in a way that those people might understand, and he has to adjust with these other cultures and these other languages and these other um, experiences that people have had. He has to adjust. He has to know his audience, and that's something so wise that Paul has. I don't know if that was told to him by a mentor or, or someone. Um, said, like, hey, this is important. You need to apply this in your preaching whenever you're in other countries. So maybe he figured it out as an, on his own. I don't know what kind of training Paul had in the middle of everything. Um, but he, f- he, he does it, you know. He figures it out. He, I mean, in the, even in the previous section of Scripture, he goes to far, so far in his audience, oh, sorry, he goes so far to know his audience as to change his own name. You know, Paul isn't his real name, isn't, isn't his original name, it's Saul. Paul is a, has a Roman um, history, or a Roman root. He changes his name. <laughs> I mean, women change their name when they get married, and okay, but like change your first name, like to change his full na- his name to be more relatable to people, that's huge. But obviously, you know, obviously not compromising the truth, but adjusting in order to make the truth Makes sense, okay? That's it, because God is in the business of people, okay? God is in the business of people. He love you know, the earth is our domain, yes, but he's in the business of people. It's a global eco- epidemic. You have no excuse not to encounter people on a daily basis. Even if you stay at home, if you're even if you're a stay-at-home parent or grandparents, your kids are in your household with you, right? They need Jesus too. So tell them, <laughs> even if you don't like people, even if you you think you're alone, you're not alone. You're always encountering people, regardless of how hard you try to get away from them. I know there's been people that have tried. You can't get away from people. And um, and in thinking about all of this, I I. I've I've talked to different missionaries, and um, if you know my story at all, I've I've gone to different countries, and I want to I want to go out into other countries and and tell people about Jesus in whatever way that He has me has for me. I feel called to that, and so in college I encountered a lot of missionaries, and I talked to them, and I wanted to know I wanted to learn from them. And I don't know their circumstances. I didn't I I don't want to judge. <laughs> I felt very judgmental when they heard this, but. It just, it kind of broke my heart, and uh, their context might be different, but just thinking about it, that that's, that this might be a reality. Talking to these missionaries, the ones that have been in the field for like 40 years or more, living in a different country, displaced for another, for 40 years, I asked them about the difficulty of learning a new language. I mean, that's a very practical thing that they encounter when you encounter, when you go into a different country, right? When you go into a different city, sometimes in America, you have to, (laughs) there's different languages going on, okay? 
And uh, they said, oh, some of these missionaries that I talked to, they're like, oh, we never learned the language. We had translators for that. <sighs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> 40 years in a place and you never learned the language? <laughs> this, I mean, it was just like flabbergasting to me, right? I was just like, how, how could this be? How could you live so long in one place in one culture in a group of people and not even know how to speak the language? <laughs> right? I mean, look, I mean, in our city, where do we live? Where do we live in Ponca City? Who are the people that are around us every day? Where do we live? Do we know the language of this city? Do we know the language of our communities? Do, and, it, and language might not be audible words. It might be, you know, life experiences. It might be cultural differences. It might be um, economic differences. It, it, it could be anything, family differences. Do, do we really know where we are, we're at, where we're at right now? I don't know. <laughs> and we know that the, that the Holy Spirit can intervene in people's hearts. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. God is big. You know, he can, he can get in there and make a difference for people. But for us to just to sit back and assume that God's going to do all the work for us, that's not right either, right? He gave us a mission. He gave us a purpose, okay? He gave us a mission, and he gave us a purpose. Our mission is to find that purpose in other people by whatever means necessary. <laughs> I know that's very scary, <laughs> and it sounds like, oh, we're going rogue. <laughs> but frame it in the context that you that's familiar, and is it scary? Yes. Is it easy? It can be, yes, absolutely. Finding people, you know, common ground, making a new friend, that can sometimes be easy. You can click. It could be a fellow parent on a kid's team or whatever it might be. It could be someone that you work with that you have both grown up in the same kind of situation. Sometimes it, that situa this encounter could be very simple. Are you going to get an awkward situation? <laughs> yes. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> Are you going to encounter difficult people? Yes. <laughs> Very difficult people. But God just asks us to take the next step. To take the next step. Don't quit, go don't quit when the going gets tough. That's what he accused John of. He accused John of quitting when the, in, when the going got tough. I don't know if the journey from over the sea was really hard. I don't know if John got sick and he was like, I'm not, I'm not signed up for this. If he had something, he ate something that was terrible or what, whatever it could have been. Don't quit when it gets hard. Get empowered to take one step out and try to pull someone in the boat. They might be a John and they might bail out. And he might pull them in, and they're just like, oh, I don't, uh, this isn't for me. I don't want to do this anymore. Keep moving forward. And make the mission of God your priority, just like Paul did. He suffered hurts. He suffered, you know, trials. He suffered celebrations. He felt he suffered good times and bad times, but he kept moving. He kept going. Make the mission of God your priority that you do not waver from no matter what. If you're lost on how to take the next step, if you don't feel confident in your, your abilities, 
then the next step might be to ask for help. <laughs> the next step for you might be to ask for help from a trusted leader, uh, someone you see as a mentor, a parent, whoever. Ask for help, right? H ask for help how to take that next step. Maybe you need to go through a time of being discipled. Maybe you need to, maybe you've been a John and you've bailed out on situations because you're like, oh, this is hard. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, maybe you've been a John, and you need to get back into discipleship with someone, okay, regardless of what you think you already know. For me, I thought I already knew, <laughs> and so I didn't ask for help. And so I'm going through a time of discipleship, regardless of what you think, might be the next step for you. That might be healthy. So it might be to disciple someone else. But be bold about it, right? God might not be asking you to be a Paul and cross seas and oceans, but he's he is calling you to people. He might You might not have to go to Africa, which is a really cool place, by the way. I highly recommend it. He might not be calling you to go to Africa ever. You might just always see it on TV or pictures. Um, but he's calling you to people, okay? And through this, I sometimes feel like we get caught up in the idea that Je got caught up in the idea that Jesus is the only way to God in the kingdom, because that's true, right? He is the only way to God in the kingdom. He's the only way to heaven. Jesus is the only way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know this. This is truth. But we forget that there's so many avenues to Jesus. Let's get people to Jesus in whatever way that might be. Set a, and the world is diverse, right? It doesn't make sense that in order for someone to love Jesus, they have to fit into this perfect Christian mold that we've put together, that we've put together, not that God put together. God didn't do that, right? When Jesus, Jesus never put that on people. He said, go, f go forth. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, change what you look like, get better clothes, get cleaned up, make more money, figure everything out emotionally that you've been through, heal on your own. He didn't say that. He just said, go and sin no more, right? He doesn't say to become like every other religious person. So why can't we welcome people with open arms where they're at, every person that walks through the door, and that's not just the doors of this church. It's, uh, I'm talking about your life, your life, the doors of your life, whatever avenue that people enter, your, enter and exit your life in, welcoming them, making them feel safe, making them feel important and valued because of Jesus, because that's important. It's, and, and making them feel welcome, not just because the pastor says or because I have said, but out of a genuine place of love. And you know, the one language that everybody speaks across the nation and across the world, love. Okay, that's everybody speaks that language. No matter how it is expressed, Everybody speaks that same language of love. So if you're lost and you're like, I don't know the language, I don't know the culture, I don't know these people, I, this is weird. Just love. <laughs> Express love. 
genuine love. Okay? I'd like to do a quick exercise as we close today. I, uh, I'm, I've taught kids a lot, and I've taught kids in church. I'm not an actual teacher in the schools or whatever, but I've most, mostly my audience is children, so talking to adults um, is fun because I like to apply things to um, in a childlike way sometimes because it's fun. But I want everyone to turn and face at least one other person close to you. You, if you want, you can stand up. It'd be probably better if you stand up. Let's stand up in boldness and let's stand up out of because because we're not afraid, right? We're not afraid to stand up and look at someone next to us. If there's someone who's an odd man out, find, get make it three, but turn and face one to two people. Okay. And I want even you guys out in the foyer, in the coffee bar, walking around the building, you guys online who are watching us on Facebook Live, uh, I want you guys to do this too. And I want you to look at each other in the eyes. <laughs> it's scary, right? It's scary to look someone in the eyes. <laughs> but I want you to say, to the other person that you're looking at, in the group that you're in, you have purpose in my life. And really mean it, guys. Really mean it. You have purpose in my life. I don't know if someone needed to hear that. <laughs> I don't know if someone needed to hear that today. I don't know if someone is feeling like really alone or really isolated in their life or because of circumstances.